0: Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Colossians 4, 7 through 18 is where we're going to be today. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. And you see the title of the sermon on the screens if you look at it. It's called God Be With Ye. And so it just so happened uh, that as I was preparing for this week's sermon, at the beginning of the week, I saw a video online that was talking about the origin of of the word goodbye and I don't know about you I think a lot of times it's interesting to learn the origin of the origins of the words we have in our language because a lot of them are very strange like because Eliza's starting to learn to read and I was like oh see that word is t-o that's two I was like well it's one of the many forms of two and that gets a little complicated but the word goodbye actually comes from the phrase God be with ye uh, and so I saw this on a video and of course like anything on the internet you can absolutely trust it 100% uh, No, I went and I looked and checked um in many, many places that I thought were probably pretty credible, attributed the word goodbye to the phrase, God be with ye. It was a common, uh, not greeting, but a common thing that people would say when they were leaving each other, God be with ye. And eventually it got shortened to just kind of a, a, a contraction, God boy, like God be, with, God be with ye, but just kind of shortened and it was goodbye eventually over time. Uh, and so that's where the phrase goodbye comes from now why are we talking about the word goodbye because we are finally at the end of the book of Colossians we are finishing it up today we've been in it for several weeks going through and we're going to be looking at the last thing that Paul is saying to the church in Colossae and I don't know about you but whenever you typically read these if you're reading through the Bible this is the part that you're almost like do I need to read it Because it's talking about a lot of people that you have no idea who they are. He's saying, give so-and-so a greeting for me. Say hello to so-and-so. All these sorts of things. What can we learn from that? Uh, Well, I do think there's quite a few things we can learn from this passage. So we're going to get into it in just a few moments. Uh, We're going to go ahead and start reading Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read at the church of Laodiceans. And also see that you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, that you, have, that you see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we can come together and look at your word. And God, I pray that you will help us to to see what you are saying in this passage and how we can apply it to our life, that there is no passage of scripture that does not contain value to us. There is no passage that we can't learn more about you and more about who we are and how we should follow you. And God, I pray that you would help us to see you, to seek after you, and to leave this place as people who are transformed and seeking to follow you faithfully. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. So the first thing we see as the purpose of this part of the passage, and really Paul's explaining, reemphasizing his purpose in the whole letter that he's written to the Colossians. He wants to inform and encourage the Colossians. Hey, I'm wanting to tell you about what's happening. I'm sending you uh, this guy. He's going to tell you about what's happening, how we're doing, all of the work that we are doing. He wants to share about what is happening with his ministry. Now, if you think about our culture, you think about the world we live in, it's very common for people to give updates and reports. Uh, You have meeting after meeting where people tell you about what's going on. You know, in the business world, there's sales reports and all of these things informing and updating about what's happening. And I would say at some point, there is some level of like, hey, I want to show you where the support you're giving us through your prayer. And many of these churches financially supported Paul in his missionary journeys. Um, But I don't think that's the main thing. It's not an accountability thing that he's doing here. He wants to tell people about the wonderful things that God is doing in the world that, and, and what is going on. He wants to tell people this hope that you've believed in is spreading across the whole world. This hope, this Jesus, this Holy Spirit is moving in the world. I want you to think. We, we talk, we've talked a couple times about the, the revival at Asbury, how people were telling and informing about what was happening there, how people have told and informed about when God moves on mission trips. We hear stories and it informs us, but it also encourages us. You know, it's wild to think about all that God was doing at the time of Paul and in his ministry. Because Paul was there and he was alive. He was, he was a contemporary with Jesus. He was a young man, it says, when, when he was, had his encounter with Christ. When that likely, in, in biblical times, a young man, probably around 30 or so. Okay, and so he had his experience with God, where he meets God, he was persecuting Jesus, and then he becomes a person who is promoting the church. And so all of the things that God did, so it started with these few faithful believers seeking God, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit is poured upon on believers, and the gospel begins to spread all over the world. And we're going to see just how far the gospel spread. So in this time, God, the gospel spreading all through the area and Paul wants to be sure to inform the Christians at Colossae of all that God is doing. So you're going to see in, in just a, moment, a few maps. So you, We'll see the first map here. So this is Paul's first missionary journey. and I know it's kind of probably hard to see, but you can see where it starts. It starts in um, Antioch and he goes, so he goes over some, the, some travel to the sea. That's Cyprus and goes around a bunch of different places. We've got, um, we've got Aquila, Antioch, Lystra, Iconium. Now remember, he never went to Colossae. So that's his first journey. Let's see the second one. The second journey is even longer. So we see a whole different part of the map here, traveling all of this way, sharing the gospel everywhere he goes, encouraging believers, proclaiming the gospel, multiple times being beat nearly to the point of death for the cause of Christ, persecuted, driven from places, but still going and proclaiming the gospel. That's his second missionary journey. Let's see the third one. Then he goes on his third missionary journey and goes some places he's already been, new places, traveling all of this way, sharing the gospel as he went. And then the final place that he goes, the last thing he does is Paul's journey to Rome. And if you remember in the book of Acts, Paul talks about how he longs to go to see Rome. He talks that to, the, to Romans in his book to the Romans, how he wants to go see them, how he hasn't seen them, but he wants to go. And that's where he's finally imprisoned. And that's where he's ultimately killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And so in this time, in his life, that he went on these three missionary journeys in his journey to Rome, it's estimated that Paul traveled over 10,000 miles on these three missionary journeys, 10,000 miles. That's all either by foot or by boat, proclaiming the gospel. And I want you to understand this. It wasn't, he he was called into ministry, called to be an apostle, maybe around 30 but it wasn't likely until he was in his 40s that he started his missionary journeys. And so in the course of his 40s, he goes on three missionary journeys covering 10,000 miles, seeing all of these people, leading people to Christ, training people to be disciples. And this is what we see from the life of Paul. But here's what I want you to understand here. It's not all about Paul. Let's be very clear about that. Nothing about our faith is about Paul. Paul is who? A Servant of Jesus Christ. And we see in glimpses of, of these final greetings and other books and letters that Paul writes, we see other names listed of who? Other faithful servants of Jesus Christ who are taking part in this missionary work to proclaim the gospel throughout the entire world. And what I want you to understand is is that through the work of Paul, through the work of these people we see listed and others that aren't even named in Scripture, the gospel spread through the entire world. That's why we're here today, because people were faithful in proclaiming the gospel. So what he wants to do, he's like, hey, I want you to see what God is doing. It is so much bigger than the church you have in Colossae. It is so much bigger than the church in Corinth. It is so much bigger than all of these one single individual churches. It is about the global kingdom of God. That's what we have to remember. When we look at things like the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, we look at things like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and we see these stories of people whose lives have been touched through ministry of people going and telling and proclaiming the good news of the gospel, often traveling thousands of miles to do so. Why do we hear those stories? Because it, it encourages us and it informs us about how the gospel is still spreading today because faithful men and women are going and telling about what Jesus has done we also see that that he also sends him not just to inform them but to encourage them because you know you have bad days we have bad weeks you ever been discouraged in your faith not just in your life it's easy to be discouraged in life you ever been discouraged in your faith you have questions you have doubts you wonder if God is listening if God is there it's, it's normal to have those questions. But when we hear and see how God is working, how God is moving, we are reminded once again of the goodness of God. When we see that God is still at work, even though maybe we don't feel him in the same way we did at one time, we remember that God is still at work. I know many times throughout my life, I have been discouraged. I've had, uh, I've had difficulties, and I've, I've had these p- points in my life where I'm, I'm just kind of, God, what are you doing in my life? And there's always a point in time, whether it's through a person, whether it's through scripture, whether it's through anything that that God will use, where he encourages me and he reminds me of his love for me and what he's doing in the world. And so this letter is to serve as an encouragement. This passage is to serve as an encouragement. That's why he's sending people to them. He's sending people to be encouragers and informers about what is going on. We also see about how, how there's one... Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Have you ever been encouraged to know that people are praying for you? Or maybe you find out after the fact how people prayed for you and really prayed you through some difficult times of your life. And and he's like, hey, I want you to know this guy that you know. He's praying for you, constantly praying for you, seeking after the Lord to intervene on your behalf so that you will know God and know what he wants you to do. So it's it's this big picture. Remembering it's not just about New Bethel Baptist Church. It's not just about the city of Evansville or the state of Indiana or the United States. It's about the global kingdom of God and all of the believers across the world who are united by one common thing and that is our faith in Jesus Christ. So I think from this we should learn a few things how we need to inform one another about our lives. Paul often talks about the difficult things that he faces in his life. He says, hey, I'm in prison. I've faced a lot of difficulty. Why does he do that? So they can pray for him. In in this very letter, he says, remember my chains. Likely so they'll know that he's in jail on behalf of Christ to remember that, how he's suffering for Christ, but also probably to pray for him. Too often, we we get caught up into these platitudes. I kind of laughed to myself this morning because I knew what I was preaching today and that I was going to say this. And as I'm walking through and I I see some people, and it's actually, I was walking to Sunday school class and I'm passing Bruce in the hallway. He says, hey, how are you this morning? I said, good, how are you? And too often, that's all of our church interactions become. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm blessed. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. Everything's great. And, And there are times and places for those things. And maybe that's the true answer, but we need to be willing to accurately inform one another about our lives. You know, there's different levels to those things in in large group settings and in in settings where you don't know everybody super well. Maybe things are, are more general, but you need to have people in your life that you can go to when things get hard. You need to have people, Christian friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you can go to and say, I'm really struggling here right now and I need your prayers. I need some support. I need someone to help me. Will you be there for me? We need to have those people in our lives. We need to be willing to inform one another about our lives. We should be real with one another, sharing the good and the bad. Because here's the thing, we can't know how one another need help in our lives, how we need prayer in our lives if we don't share that with one another. So when these people come and they inform the Colossians about all that's going on, hey, I'm going to this city, they can pray. Keep him safe as he goes to this city. Hey, I'm working in this place, there's a lot of resistance, or there's a lot of of good things happening. Hey, please move in this place and in these people. They can know how to accurately pray. And we need to make sure we know we should also encourage one another, lifting one another up, helping encourage p- each other to go toward the goal. Hearing of what God is doing in others around us, hearing about what God has done in our life is gonna encourage those around us. Seeing how God has moved in the lives of those around us, how people have, God has brought people through something that maybe we're going through right now can encourage us to keep looking after and chasing after God as we go. Hearing about how God has worked is incredible. We should bear with one another in a way that we are encouraged. So the first thing is we should inform and encourage one another, just as Paul was informing and encouraging the church at Colossae. But the second thing I think we see from this passage, and this is one of the main features I think we see, and I want you to start as you read any letters that, that include people's names, I want you to see the beauty of the body of Christ. Because I think this passage displays the beauty of the body of Christ. Okay, so um, a common joke format that I will use in a a very Baptist-friendly format. I want you to think about this. Uh, A Pharisee, a doctor, and a wealthy lady walk into a room. Right, the the joke format. and, And they're all united by serving the same God. I want you to think about that. That's who's listed in this passage. We see Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Jesus, who's called justice. And they're the men of the circumcision. So what's that mean? They are Jews. And like Paul himself, formerly Saul, they were Jewish people who were Jewish believers who believed in Christ. And then he lists all these other people. Epaphras, Luke, Demas, the brothers at Laodicea, Nympha, and Archippus are Gentile believers. They're Gentile believers. Believers who were not Jewish. They did not belong to uh, the, the Jewish people before, and they have trusted In Christ, because if you know anything about Paul, he is an apostle to the Gentiles, an apostle to people who are not Jewish. He's going and telling them the good news about what Jesus has done. And so here's what we see here, is that these people who previously Jewish people wouldn't have associated with, God is using to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus throughout the world. Because he lists more people who are Gentile believers than he does people who are Jewish believers. And they're working together for the same cause. And this is the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. You know, it can feel a little strange to look and see all these names of people. You have no idea who they are. Maybe it's the only time they're listed in Scripture. Now, other ones we we do see other times, like Luke the Physician. You ever heard of the Gospel of Luke? That's who that is, okay? So we've seen some of these people before. But it's, it's kind of feels like you're looking into a private conversation. When you look through Colossians, it can almost feel like it's written to you. But it's not. This reminds you; it's a letter to people at a certain time. But that's the beauty of what we see: is that there's all these people working together for the common goal. Not only did Paul do it, but there were tons of Christians who played a part in the ministry that was done in the spread of the gospel. That's what I want you to understand: is that Paul did a lot of missionary journeys, but he wasn't alone. And when Paul left, there had to be people there who led the, deci- the people. The church of Colossae was not pastored by Paul. wasn't founded by Paul. Someone was working, spreading the gospel there. And so we see all these people who are largely unnamed doing the work of the gospel. And so what we should learn here is that the body of Christ takes all sorts of people. The body of Christ takes all sorts of people to do the work. I want you to think, most recently, an example that is similar to this. We think about Billy Graham and the Crusades and how many people came to faith in Christ through the work and, and the evangelism of someone like Billy Graham or other evangelists that do similar work. All of these people come to faith in Christ and they could point to Billy Graham as an, as an example or as a, as a key factor in their faith. But you know what we don't often talk about? How many people served at each one of those Crusades? How many people connected those people that were new believers to local churches? How many people in local churches discipled those new believers to faith in Jesus Christ? Billy Graham was an amazing speaker, an amazing evangelist, but he's supported by a whole network of believers. And in any church, you can look to someone and you can say, this person knows their stuff, or this person is a great servant, but it takes every member of the body of Christ doing their part, even the parts the people that don't get seen, the the, the names the people don't get named, behind the scenes that work. It takes all of those people for the body of Christ to function as it should function. Because if it becomes about one person, if it becomes about one figure, that church is not going to last very long. It's about the entirety of the body of Christ working together. We also see the beauty here that the gospel is the bond that e- unites even the most opposed people. The gospel is the bond that unites even the most opposed people. You think about the story that we saw just this morning in the, about the North American Mission Board and this woman that says she had no hope and she, she found Christ through this ministry that was funded through, the, through the, the North American Mission Board, right? This idea that people are wandering in this world so lost without hope that have no direction. And those are the very people that God will use for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. You see here how, how Paul, who was formerly Saul, who was persecuting the church, is writing a letter to people who were Gentile believers, likely worshiping false gods about their common love in Jesus Christ. How they are bonded and united because of what Jesus has done for them. And so that is the thing today that across this world, there are people of different races, different languages, different backgrounds who gather together to worship the same living God because of the hope they have in Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here today I guarantee all of us have different backgrounds. Some of us have had a great life. Some of us had had a really rough life. Somewhere in between. Some of us grew up in church. Some of us maybe did not grow up in church at all, maybe far from it. But if we come together under the banner of Jesus Christ, we are united because of that. There is nothing else that matters. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter what sports team you like. It doesn't matter any of these things that we draw lines and divide ourselves. We are one in the body of Christ. So the gospel is the bond that unites even the most opposed people. And I want you to remember that, that when you walk through this life, when you see people at the grocery store, when you see people online, because I'll tell you, it's really easy to feel other from other people right now it's really easy to look at people say i cannot comprehend the way that person thinks i can't wrap my mind around how this person is thinking in this way it's so it feels so wrong so evil those are the people that god might use for his glory people that are diametrically opposed to one another coming together in christ so, the people who are currently lost and appear to be most at odds with Christ are just the kinds of people that God will use for his glory. There is no person too far gone. There is no person that is too far from faith in Christ to be radically transformed by the love of God. And finally, we see here the commission to Christian living. So, he wants to inform and encourage them we see a beautiful display of the body of Christ, but then there is a final commission to Christian living. He ends this letter in a way that is calling believers to live out their lives in obedience to God. Because remember, this is not a passage to be read in isolation. It is the end of a letter. What did he say in the letter? Well, through the entire thing, he regularly focused on on the gospel. The gospel is the main thing that he keeps coming back to. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that we are all sinners separated from God that cannot make things right on our own. We can't do enough to earn our way to heaven. We can't do enough to please God on our own. But God loved us enough that he sent his son so that he might make a way for us to be saved. That he took our sin on the cross, our sin and our shame, it was nailed on the cross with him and he was buried and was rose again on the third day. And that if we believe in him, the Bible is very clear, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we believe that he is who he says he is, he is who the Bible says he is, we can be saved. Our sins will be forgiven and we can be made right with God. That's the gospel, the mystery of Christ as he calls it in here. That even though we're sinners, because of what Christ did, we can be saved and called children of God. So he focused on the gospel. He focused on who Christ is. He talked about the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, who, who through whom all things were made for him and by him. Christ is God in the flesh. He talks about that. He shared about what ministry he's been given about, how he's going to the Gentiles to share with them this mystery of Christ, this gospel that he's been given. He explains that Christians are supposed to be dead to their old lives and alive in Christ, how they are, they are free, but they're free to be obedient to Christ. They aren't restricted by human laws, but free to be obedient to Christ. He talks about putting to death the things of the flesh, and putting on the new self. He's talked about the order of the Christian family. And now he's, and he's given some final instructions about how to talk the talk and walk the walk that we looked at last week. And so he says to one person in particular, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. And then he says at the very end to all of them, grace be with you grace be with you. I think that's in in some ways kind of like what we talked about this morning. God be with you. The grace of God be with you to go and live and do the things I've told you to do. Because we have to remember that it's only by God's grace that we're able to live the life he calls us to live through the power of the Holy Spirit. He also says to remember my chains. He's asking for their prayers. And so what should we learn from this? We should learn that we should put into practice the things that we learn about God. It's really easy. The easy part of following God, of following Christ, is the things that so often we don't do. It's so easy to read the Bible. It really is easy to read it. Now, understanding it at times can be a little more difficult, but it doesn't take very much to sit down and read some passages in Scripture. It's not hard to do. It's not physically hard. It's not very hard to spend some time, carve out some time to be in prayer, It's not hard to go to church. You you get to sit down for an hour, most of an hour. Nobody's going to judge you if you sit the whole hour, I promise. You get to go, you listen, you go to Sunday school, you listen, you learn. It's easy to learn about God. It's so much harder to put it into practice. What's the greatest commandment? I'm going to listen for this one. What's the greatest commandment? It was a little bit scattered. But it was love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So a really easy, easy way to say it, love God. Well, I'll tell you, that can be hard to do sometimes. Because sin is the opposite of loving God. And there's often times where sin is quite tempting. And The Bible talks about how our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He will do anything he can to make sin enticing and tempting to you. What's the second commandment? The really easy way. Love people. And I'll tell you, if you didn't think loving God was hard, loving people sure can be hard. All you have to do is go drive around in, in Evansville on a Saturday afternoon and it's really hard because there's so many people everywhere and somebody sometimes going to do something you don't like that they did. Love God, love people. It's easy to, to memorize that right? You can memorize the whole passage, right? A scribe came to him and asked him, what's the greatest commandment? All right, you can memorize the scripture. It's not really that hard to remember things if you put a little time and effort into it, but to go and to do it is the hard part. The easy part for the Colossians was for them to get together and one person read what Paul said. The hard part was then to go and do it. I think that's kind of why he says, grace be with you. Hey, I know it's not going to be easy. Go, I hope God's unmerited favor is going to go with you because that's the only way you're going to be able to live out what he calls you to. And we can't forget what God calls us to. We can't forget about it. How many times is it so easy between the time you leave church and the time you get home to forget everything that you've contemplated? Right, the, the, the band Casting Crowns, one of their albums was named The Altar and the Door. And it's this idea, this concept that between the altar where you have went to the altar because you're praying and seeking God, asking him to move in your life. Between the altar and the door, you've forgotten about all that God showed you in your life. You ever been in a situation, and I know this happens to me all the time, where you're convicted, like, man, I really need to be a little more patient. And then something happens immediately after that tests your patience, and you lose your, you lose your patience. You forget everything you've learned. It's like, you, it's like the Bible talks about how you're like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and walks away and forgets about it. That's what the book of James says about it. How It'd you, be like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of a short guy with light brownish, blondish, dark blondish hair. Okay, I'm gonna walk away. I'm, I'm really tall. And no, that's not how it works. What is God calling you to do? Don't forget about it. Don't forget what he calls you to do. When he he calls you to go and love people, don't blindly look over the people that he wants you to love. When he calls you to be obedient to him, don't blindly look over the opportunities for obedience. And we talk about, we've been talking a lot this year about sharing our faith and, and going and proclaiming the gospel and the gospel in our town, having gospel conversations. And it's so easy to, to 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 look at to think about that i want to share the gospel it's hard to do it and it's easy to overlook opportunities to overlook times when you can talk to people about your love for god and, it's, and we must also remember that it's only by god's grace that we can do this it's only by his grace Do you think that Paul was just some sort of superhuman that went on these 10,000-mile journeys, beaten nearly to death, that just in himself was so wonderful that he kept doing it? No. It is by the grace of God that he is what he is. And it is by God's grace that you are here today. It is by God's grace that till the day he takes you home, you have the opportunity and the privilege to serve him. And that changes throughout your life, but it should never stop. Right? When, I, I've seen many people right, where they, they go on mission trips and sometimes those mission trips require a, a lot of physical labor. Right? So there's people that'll go and there'll be teams of people that go on these mission trips and so you see a lot of the young men coming together, rallying around, doing this physical labor. But when those young men become older men, should they not go? No, they should go. But maybe they're not doing the same things. How do I know this? How do I know that it never stops. This letter, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. So in this, we see a couple things. First, he's in jail. It'd be a little easy to wallow in your pity and not do anything if you're in jail. But he's writing letters, still doing what he can to expand the kingdom of God, to encourage and inform people. But we also see that Paul is writing this part with his own hand. What does that mean? He had to have somebody write for him. Why? A lot of times when, when we hear about the, the thorn in Paul's flesh, you remember hearing about that? The thorn in his flesh, we get that phrase, oh, you're just being a thorn in my side, comes from Paul because he has a thorn that he has, he's asked three times for it to be taken from him. And a lot of people think that might have been a health-related issue, particularly maybe his sight. I don't think Paul could see very well. Well, if you've ever had a time to, if you've ever had a, a reason not to travel or not to journey or not to write something down, maybe it's because you can't see very well. Do you know what? I can't write, but you can write for me. I'll tell you what to say. And I'm going to write the end with my own hand, so they know it's for me. We must be faithful in whatever God calls us to in whatever way we can with the grace of God helping us as we go. And so as we come to this time, the end of the sermon at the end of the letter, I want to challenge you to think about, to contemplate what we've talked about in the book of Colossians or what you've heard here today. What is God calling you to do? What are the things that he has called you to do in your life? And here's the deal. It may not be what you heard today, but it may be something you've known for a while in your life. The person who was my youth pastor, who I look up to greatly, who is now a pastor of a church, I think it was about 10 years of his life that he ran from his call to ministry before he finally submitted to serving God in ministry. You know how many people are are called to be missionaries that don't become missionaries until way later in life? I know several people who are pastors that did not become pastors until they were in their 50s. It wasn't very long ago I went to the ordination of one of my friends who was in his 50s. And that doesn't mean you have to go into ministry. How is God calling you to serve, to be engaged, to be involved, to be invested that you need to be obedient to? What things do you need to share with others? What ways can you help others? What is God calling you to do today? And so during this time of invitation, the altar is open. If God is doing something in your heart, you want to pray and seek him at the altar, you can. I will be down front. If you have questions about what it means to be saved, to have a relationship with him, if you want to take that step today, if you know, if you know that you are a sinner, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, and you want to be forgiven for your sins, and you have not done that, you've not asked him there is no reason, nothing that should be holding you back from taking that step. Don't let there be any fear or any, any apprehension from taking that step and following him in faith. Maybe you need to follow in obedience and, and baptism. Maybe you need to be a part of a local body and join a church. Maybe you just need to be obedient in how God's calling you in your life. Whatever it is, the altar's open. I'm here for prayer. I'm here for you. The people beside you are likely here for you. They'll pray with you. Seek him through worship and seek him and however he's calling you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us, this time that we can come together. And God, I pray that as this book ends and as this sermon ends, this won't be the end of what you are doing in each of our lives. That you will just stir us and convict us in such a way that we can't ignore what you are doing in our hearts and that we would be obedient to following you. That we would play whatever parts you're calling us to play in the kingdom of God. And that because of our obedience, others might come to faith in you. Others might come to know you better. And that we might be people who are faithful and obedient in following you until the day we are home with you. God, I pray that you will be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.